I invite you to join your hearts and minds with me as we pray. How good, Lord, to be here in your house, O God. The psalmist said, I love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. We pray that today in this sacred space, in this sacred time, you would fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Help us to see you moving and at work in our lives. Help us to see how we can reach out to others with a message and hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus, that precious message of hope. These things we pray in our Savior's name, and I ask, O Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Heavenly Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, it's a joy to be here. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your midst, to share a message based on the Nicene Creed, and to talk a little bit about Lutheran Ministry Services Northwest. It was a few years back that a friend of mine, someone said, You really should try to think of an elevator speech to tell people about Lutheran Ministry Services Northwest. Not feeling the most creative, I sat down and scratched my head a little bit and I said, you know, it's kind of like the long arm of the Lord, the arm that reaches out by reaching in to Seattle area hospitals, care centers, and jails. So there it is, the long arm of the Lord. It reaches out by reaching into those places. If I have a little extra time, I'll talk about my hospital ministry, I focus on three hospitals in the Seattle area where I have a relationship with the spiritual care departments in those hospitals at Harborview, Virginia Mason, the University of Washington Medical Center. I take referrals to all the area hospitals here. You know, you're in a great city if you're sick. (laughs) This is a great place to be if you happen to be sick. There's a lot of world-class health care right down the road. And people come from far and wide to get care at our Seattle hospital. So I see people who come in from Montana, from Alaska, from Idaho, from Eastern Washington, and from our own city. It's hard to get from place to place and minister to them, remind them that God hasn't forgotten them, remind them that God is there. Our care center ministry, we reach out to about a dozen care centers holding some 20 song services and devotion services at our area care centers, mostly volunteer-led. And those volunteers will tell you what a joy it is to see people at don't engage and don't interact much with the people around them, suddenly spark recognition at the words of a familiar hymn and maybe say the words of a familiar prayer like the Lord's Prayer or even say words that are familiar like the Nicene Creed. Those people reach out and touch people's spirits in a way that nothing else and no one else can. In our jail ministry, I'll let Mr. Don Sundin, our executive director of LMS, talk about our jail ministry a little bit at the end of the service, but we serve as the coordinators for jail ministry in the Northwest District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So that's a little nutshell version, a little encapsulated version of Lutheran ministry services, who we are and what we're all about. Well, the theme for today is based on the Nicene Creed. And of course, we can look at that creed as a nutshell encapsulation of what it means to be a Christian, right? That's what those early bishops decided to do when they sat down in the city of Nicaea in Asia Minor, convened by the Emperor Constantine in the year 325 AD. They sat down to say, what do we as Christians believe and what don't we believe? And so 
an expression of who we are and whose we are can be found in the Nicene Creed. And the creed covers what we believe about God as told to us in the words of Holy Scripture. Not just one little piece here and there, but the whole testimony of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation. These are the things that these early fathers, these early Christians believed about Christ. These folks knew the treasure of their faith. They knew what a treasure their faith was. When they gathered in 325 AD, it hadn't been that long before uh, since Christianity was an illegal religion. You know, becoming a Christian back then meant you could forfeit your property. You know, that was likely. You could forfeit the relationships that were in your life. All those who are close to you, your wife, your family, your friends, they could all turn their back on you because you became a Christian. You could even forfeit your life. It was only a short time after that that these bishops gathered. They knew what a treasure their faith was. They knew what Jesus was talking about when he said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, right? When a man finds it, he buries it quickly, goes out, sells everything he has so he can get that treasure. Or again, the kingdom of heaven is like a a merchant looking for fine pearls. He finds one of great value. He sells everything he has so he can go out and buy that pearl of great value. These folks knew what a treasure their faith was, and they sat down to make an expression of that faith that would carry people through the ages and through the generations. And the part of that creed that we're focusing on today has to do with our Lord's crucifixion and resurrection, right? The part that we're focusing on, according to to Pastor uh, Brad, is the part where uh, we confess our faith in Jesus, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, right? According to the scriptures. That little word is very important. Those early fathers wanted to make sure everything they taught was in line with the Bible's testimony. The Old Testament law and canon that they had already put together and the testimony of the eyewitnesses, those who not long before their day and age were able to see Jesus with their own eyes and hear him with their own ears and even touch him with their own hands. They, they were the ones who sat down to make this expression of faith in Jesus Christ. And they believed what the scriptures told them about Jesus. Everything was based on God's word according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. We hear that phrase echoed in that epistle reading that we heard read just a few moments ago, right? From 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's famous resurrection chapter. Paul writes, What I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was baptized and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures, Jesus had to die for sins. The wages of sins was death. The wages brought on by Adam and Eve's disobedience was death. And so our Messiah had to die without Death, without his death, uh, there would be no forgiveness of sins. We read in the Old Testament reading from Isaiah that uh, a lamb, God's perfect sacrifice, would be the one who would take our punishment. Jesus was that sinless lamb of God who quietly and obediently went to that cross for us to win us salvation. And better yet, he didn't stay 
dead once he died and he was put in that tomb. He rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, according to what God's word had said about him. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied that God's Holy One would not see decay, that the grave would have no hold on him, and Jesus fulfilled that prophecy when he rose again on Easter. And we have the testimony of those who were eyewitnesses, those who bore witness to that themselves through the words of Holy Scripture, right? We have the testimony of the empty tomb, don't we? Those early disciples on Easter morning, we've heard what happened. (laughs) They went to the tomb. They found that the stone had been rolled away, right? Other disciples went. They looked inside. He wasn't there. Jesus, on Easter morning, he appeared to Mary. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to the disciples who were gathered in the upper room. Famously, Thomas, one of the disciples, wasn't there, right? He heard what the other disciples said about seeing the risen Lord, and, and he's flabbergasted. <laughs> Look, if, if I don't see it with my own eyes, if I don't get to touch him and put my hands where those wounds were, I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to have none of it. Famously, one week after all that, we know what happened. Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, and Jesus appeared to Thomas and showed him his wounds, showed him his side, and told Thomas, stop doubting and believe. I've had many a conversation with people who are going through some tough times, especially in times of trial, especially when life gets tough and we wonder whether or not this thing that we call faith is, is real. You start to realize that you know, the pillars have been taken out and you're, you are really taking that step, not realizing you know, whether or not that uh, stairway is going to be there in front of you, right? I'm trying to bring up a quote, and it's just not coming. It was a Martin Luther King quote, right? Faith is taking the next step, you know, even when you can't see the whole staircase. I like that one. Anyway, when our faith gets tested like that, we may want something to grab onto. We may want the kind of proof that Thomas had. For all of us in that situation, we have the testimony of Jesus meeting up with Thomas when he says, stop doubting and believe. Have you... Do you believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We have the testimony of those who have gone before us. We have the testimony of those who are eyewitnesses to Christ's resurrection. They held on to that faith so dearly they wouldn't even give it up, even at the peril of their own life. So we, this side of heaven, have that rich heritage and the rich promise of resurrection and resurrection hope. That same kind of hope that carried them through their lives is the same kind of hope that can see us through the trials that we face in our life today. You know, as a hospital chaplain, I visit people in all kinds of different circumstances, all kinds of trials. You know, sometimes I'll introduce myself and say, I'm the chaplain. <laughs> and people some look a little startled, you know. And some will say, I don't need you yet, do I? <laughs> I I like that. I like to go back and forth. Some of the visits I I have are are light and lighthearted, and things aren't really serious. And I do meet people who are are facing their life's end, people who are uh, facing terminal illness and things like that. I remember meeting one lady. She was really happy that I came by. I I thought, wow, what a gracious person. I kind of came unannounced. She happened to be on the list as Lutheran, and I was just making my rounds and knocked on the door and uh, introduced myself and started talking with her. She was really happy to see me, and she was really overjoyed to hear that I was Lutheran. 
And what did she tell me? She said, I was a catechism girl. And she talked about how as a young person, she really enjoyed learning Martin Luther's small catechism. You know, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and some explanations to all those things. She really loved that because it helped put the, the pieces of faith together for her in a simple way. We started talking. Well, I found out she was in the hospital being treated for cancer. She was trying one more treatment from this specialist to see if she would be able to have just a little bit more time. She really didn't know. She asked me, you know, Pastor, is it okay to pray for healing? I said, yes. I talked about Jesus' promises concerning prayer. If Jesus invites us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Jesus wants us to come and bring those big and small things to him in prayer and to pray in faith that he just might heal us. I also talked, though, about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was faced with the reality of his own mortality. And he prayed in anguish and said, Lord, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself to God the Father's will. I talked about the Apostle Paul's prayer. Lord, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. I'm paraphrasing what he might have said. He pleaded with the Lord three times to have that thorn taken away. God's answer wasn't yes. God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God's answer was to give Paul the strength that he needed to persevere even in light of that thorn. We talked about those things. I found out after conversation with this woman that she hadn't been to church in decades and she really wanted to reconnect. And it was a blessing to be able to help her reconnect to the faith, the faith of her childhood. She asked for communion. We talked about that. I remember going to uh, the hospital one day with my communion kit and I took a couple of hymnals with me. Thought that might be very meaningful for her. We went through an order of service. I went through the invocation, the confession, and absolution, had a very short devotion. I could see that she was mustering a lot of strength to stay with me, to be able to participate, to be able to say the words. We got to the point I wanted to say the creed. It's an important part of our our service. And I thought, I, I said to her, let's go ahead and say the Apostles' Creed. It's a little bit shorter. She stopped me. She said, no, Pastor, I want to say the Nicene Creed. It's more complete, and I've always believed that. And so with all the strength she could muster, she confessed those words that we freely said a few moments ago in worship. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We celebrated the Lord's Supper, that foretaste of the feast to come, that foretaste of the heavenly feast where we'll celebrate in the presence of our living God with all those who have gone before us in the faith. She rallied a little bit after that. I thought she might go home. But a couple weeks later, it wasn't to be. The the Lord called her home. I got a call from a close family friend. It wasn't a son, but he was said he was like a son, and he was trying to help the family put together a memorial service for him. He was from a Baptist background. He heard I was Christian. He asked me, did she accept Christ? Did she ever make a statement of faith? And I I talked a little bit about baptism. And then I told him the story about celebrating communion and how she had wanted to say the Nicene Creed. That creed was her confession of faith. That creed was her statement of faith in saying, God has called me to be a believer 
and this is who I am, and this is who I believe God is in my life. And what a joy it was for him and that family and a joy to be able to communicate that God had opened that door for us to have that kind of conversation and that kind of ministry. That's a little glimpse of how the creed, how the message and the hope of the resurrection helps sustain that person through that trial. And it's a little glimpse of how we all can glean hope from these symbols of faith that are so familiar to us, especially things like the Nicene Creed that promise Christ's resurrection and resurrection hope for us all the days of our life as we journey this side of heaven to that day when all of us will celebrate at the wedding feast of the Lamb. May God keep us faithful until that day. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest on us this day and always. Amen.